Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Pastor Jeremy. We're delighted to have you worshiping with us today. Obviously, we got a lot of cool stuff going on in our church, and we're glad uh, that you are part of that. Um, we are this summer, if you haven't been here or if you're visiting, we're going through the life of David. And uh, you've probably heard that name before because you live in Western society. And uh, what is um, cool about this guy is that there's obviously a lot going on in his life. He began as a little shepherd boy out in the field, but through God's amazing grace and his power and sovereignty, David is taken from that spot to a place of becoming the type of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the prophetic king, which gives hope to the people and eventually fulfills itself in the ultimate culmination of Jesus Christ. So it's a really cool life to study. We invite you to join us in that and continue in that. You can see all the weirdness of being a human being, both the foibles and the successes and the things that we influence and the things that we don't. And you kind of walk through it and say, how does this all work? And it's a lot easier to look at it in somebody else's life and figure it out than your own. <laughs> but that's how you kind of start to figure it out in your own life too, is you say, okay, God's working in David's life this way. Hmm, I wonder how he's working in mine. And you can kind of put those things together and grow in your faith, and it's a really cool thing. So if you haven't, Feel free to go back and rewatch some of those because these are all building upon one another. And also, we invite you to read along with us in 1 Samuel. Just pick up your Bible. If you don't know where that's at, look at the front. There's an index, sort of like chapter, page number thing. Look up 1 Samuel and start reading along with us, and you'll get the story, and it'll fill in a lot of gaps. Because like today, I'm going to go pretty fast. We're covering chapters like 18 through 20. So that means, like, unlike many of my other sermons where I go verse by verse, in this, in this way of approaching things today, we're just going to be like leapfrogging and hopscotching or whatever you want to say, just from one paragraph to the next. We're going to leave out stuff in between, and we're just going to sort of fly over to give you the big picture. But that will still, I think, be very helpful uh, for your everyday life. So... Uh, normally I read the text, but, and I will read some text today, but I'm not going to just start off with an extended reading. Instead, I'm going to do different paragraphs throughout. But let me just warm you up a little bit and uh, ask you a question. I'm going to ask for your verbal feedback. So if you're not part of our church, uh, it's okay to talk in church as long as you're talking to me. <laughs> or saying nice things to the person next to you. That's okay too. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you just to interact with me and I'm also going to talk about a movie, but just because I say the movie's name doesn't mean I am blessing that movie for everybody or saying it's a good movie or it's a godly movie or anything else. It's just a thing we all know, and so I'm using it as an illustration. So there is a movie entitled Forrest Gump, uh, and there's a famous saying from that movie, which is, oh man, all right. That wasn't the one I was going for. No, that's not it either. It starts with an R. Run, Forrest, run. Man, I forgot how many scenes there were in that movie. Wow. Whoops. All right. Next time, different illustration. Not that one. Right. One service. Oh, yeah, that's right. Welcome. So I'm going to go with the one today, run, Forrest, run. So... 
just to give it away, let's try that all together. One, two, three. Run, Forrest, run. All right, that's good. Very good. I'm excited. So run, Forrest, run. Well, what happens in this film uh, is basically this guy, Forrest, is going through all these crazy adventures, some good, some not so good, and it seems like his main response is to run. Like, I don't know, so I just ran. So I don't know, so I just ran. Everywhere Forrest goes, he's just running, and it turns out along the way he runs into someone and advances his life, and it's a pretty amazing thing. Today, in a similar way, we're going to see something that happens with King David. He's running all over the place. Sometimes he runs to fight Goliath. He runs into conflict. Sometimes he runs away from conflict. He runs fleeing from Saul. Sometimes he runs to help or soothe or make Saul feel better. In each of these different situations, whether it's running against an enemy, running to help a friend, or running from a godly foe or a chosen one of God, Forrest is going to, or <laughs> Forrest, David. Guys, <laughs> switch this out for coffee, please. David is going to run. He's going to run, 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 run. And so today, I want to sort of take you through that and say, you know what, this is an interesting life because here's this guy, and I know you're asking the question, what is this, just biography time? No, of course not. This is the Bible, so it applies to you. So what we do is we say, okay, here's what David did. What should I do? Today is do what David did. A few weeks from now, when we talk about a lady named Bathsheba, it's not don't do what David did. But this is the do what David did day. And what we're going to see is he's in this really tricky spot. I know a lot of us, we're in tricky spots in life. You know, like, how do I respond? My boss, my employer, my family, my whatever. <sighs> what do I do? And in some instances, we run into conflict. In some instances, we run away from conflict. And in some instances, we run to help soothe the situation. What do I do when? Well, look at David and see what he did. Today you're going to see this guy in this spot where he wants to respect the leadership, you know, because God anointed Saul. So he, it, Saul is God's chosen leader at this time, and David needs to respect that. But at the same time, he knows Saul is kind of losing it. Saul is off his rocker. Saul is sinful. So what does he do? How does he respond to his calling, which he knows is significant, and he knows he's supposed to replace Saul, but it's not quite the time yet. So how does he respectfully obey God's calling on his life and respect the leadership that's in place while at the same time returning good for evil and at the same time not sticking his neck out there so far so as to let Saul cut it? It's a dangerous, tricky spot. He wants to honor God. He wants to be faithful to his calling. He wants to be respectful to Saul. But he also doesn't want to step off the edge of a cliff. What does he do? The answers are playing out in 1 Samuel 18 through 20. I think what you'll see is this throughout our study today is that the righteous will always experience opposition. If you are living for Christ, at some point your life should be difficult. And if it's not, you need to ask yourself a question, why not? If you are following after Jesus, you will have trouble. That's the way it is. But the thing about it is, is we're not just left there in our trouble or suffering. Instead, 
we are told, both directly and indirectly through the examples of Scripture, to trust in two things, not just one, because you need them both. The power and the goodness of God. And as you trust in those things, you run to God. In every situation, whether you're going into conflict or away from conflict, the answer is still to run to God. So as people say to Forrest, run, Forrest, run, I say to you, run, Christian, run. Run the race that is set before you and run to God. So we'll look at three parts of that today, then as it develops in David's life, his conflict with Saul. Uh, For those of you who appreciate structure, this is what I will try to follow, Lord willing and spirit accepting. Um, There are basically three points in this conflict is, number one, there's a tipping point. You know, what sets things off? When you're a conflict, you know, generally there's this uneasiness or whatever, but at some point there's a tipping point and you're like, okay, that's it. (laughs) You know, now we're over the edge. The scales have tipped. Here we are. We're in conflict. There's a tipping point, and then along the way, once you're in that conflict, there's both uh, a number of indirect and direct traps. There are things that are sort of subtle uh, pools of quicksand that you've got to be careful not to step in, and there are also things that are like, wow, this is antagonistically, intentionally, aggressively coming after me. <laughs> you know, This isn't just a potential for a misstep. This is something pursuing me that goes beyond that. So we'll look at sort of the traps of conflict, and then, number three, we'll look at the response to, or how, how do we deal with this? And how does David deal with it? How do we deal with it? So let's begin with the first, then. This is the tipping point. Um, I'll have the scripture up on the screen, or you can follow along in whatever way is workable for you, but as I said, we're going to jump from chapter to chapter. So this is starting with 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is the tipping point. What really got things going? 1 Samuel 18 says this, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, who's that? Goliath, good. The women came out of all the cities singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. Saul's like, sweet, cool, listen to that. All right. Uh Uh-oh. And David (laughs) is tens of thousands. Hmm. Little brothers just one up the big guy. Not so good. And as a result, as you see, is normally the case, Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. He would have been happy for it to be the other way around. He said, ah, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they've only ascribed thousands. What more can he have by the kingdom? You always favor him. You give him whatever he wants. Saul eyed David from that day on. Message translation says that basically Saul took it as a personal insult. All these women were doing is celebrating the reality of the fact they just won, and they won big time. Now, it's true that Saul has been very successful. He's killed a number of their enemies, but not nearly as successful as David. He just took out the Philistine champion, the giant of Gath, Goliath. David's a hero. Who can deny it? It's objective, factual truth. He has saved the team. We're in a better spot because of him. 
if Saul were responding in a godly way at this point, he would say, yes, that's right. <laughs> Go, David. We're so proud of you. Thank you for saving our tails. But the human sinful condition has taken over and Saul is following it. And what has happened is he has taken this then as a personal insult. And by the way, brothers and sisters, this is really easy to do, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we do this from the time we are two and three years old. Brother or sister gets whatever, and all of a sudden we didn't, and we want, and na 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 na, and how come you? And it happens. And here's a little secret, kids it's not just with children, <laughs> it's with adults too. We feel the same way, we just know how to hide it better. <laughs> but it comes out. Here is Saul, and, and as he, if you look more deeply into his life, what you see is this is really there from the very beginning. Like a lot of things you'll deal with with other people, uh, it's not an isolated issue that just sprung up one day because of you, so don't take it so personal. Instead, this is something that's been going on for a long time with them. Saul has been insecure from the very beginning. From the day of his call to kingship, he's hiding and what you see here is that insecurity that's always there that he's never gotten over is rooted, listen to that term, you'll hear it more, it's rooted in his heart. And as a result, he interprets or sees everything through those lenses. Hey, I'm at, I'm, I'm at a you know, disadvantage here. Somebody's going to get me. I, I need to watch out for myself. Who's going to look out for Saul but for Saul? And you go into a situation like that, how do you think you're going to respond? Of course, negatively. Well, that's built up and that's stirring around in him so everybody he sees is a perceived threat. Is this person going to get me? Is this person going to get me? Watch out for them over there. i got to be on my guard. That perceived threat is there. And then someone says something that plays into that and he's like, whoa, there it is. They did it. Oh, see, I was right. Man, it's all dark shades now. Everything is interpreted through these lenses. Watch out. So Saul's insecurity has a perceived threat that leads to this jealousy. The jealousy sits there in his heart. He doesn't run to God. Where does he run to at the end of his life? The exact opposite direction. Saul is holding on to that resentment, that jealousy, that insecurity, tightly in his hands, close to his heart, and it builds and it builds and it builds and it gets more bitter and more bitter and more bitter until one day he can't stand it and boom! The spears come out and he lashes out. That's the process that takes place in our hearts when you allow a root of bitterness to dig in. You go from insecurity to perceived threat to jealousy to resentment to bitterness to animosity to hatred and rage and even murder. This is the process of sin that goes on in your heart. And that's why Jesus tries to nip it in the bud at the very beginning. He says, hey, you get angry at somebody, you're guilty of murder. <laughs> you haven't gone down the whole slide yet, but you're on it. And as far as I'm concerned, you're just about down it because it's pretty hard to stop once you're going down. <laughs> you know? This is the process that's going on inside of Saul. It's called a root of bitterness, which I know you're probably like, well, there's a nice churchy term. Driving around this week, hey, there's rooty bitterness. <laughs> we don't use that a whole lot. Let me show you what that means. Root is a very beautiful picture, actually. It's, very, it's, very, it's an image that Scripture is using to draw something forth for you. Root, as you know, is something very powerful. If you have roots in your foundation, you have a problem. If you're trying to hoe up your garden and use all kinds of roots, it's a mess. 
you see that roots are under the surface. They're not something you know are there, but they definitely give life to something else. If you follow them, that thing may not be right there, but it's somewhere. And at the end of it is something. And if those roots are strong, it's bearing fruit. So if it's a good thing, it's good fruit. If it's a bad thing, it's bad fruit. So you follow these roots and you find, as Hebrews says this, this is the first Hebrews, there's a lot more in, in there, but this is what Hebrews says in chapter 12. It says, strive for peace with everyone, Saul, for the holiness without which no one, can, no one will see the Lord. Guys, we need to live at peace. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no, oh, here it is, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. This is an Old Testament thing where um, basically what they're doing is they're pointing to how idolatry gets into the community. And the law of Moses says it like this. It says, um, beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord God. So the first thing that happens is simple. Your heart turns. It's not something you have a clear measurement of. It's just something that goes on inside of you. Beware that lest there become a root. Here's, here's how it's described. Bearing poisonous fruit and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of his sworn covenant, that's the Old Testament law, blesses himself in his heart and says, I'll be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and the dry alike. In other words, this root takes root, and the guy just says, hey, no big deal. I don't have to worry about that. It's below the surface. There's no fruit. There's no vine. There's no tree. Nothing. I'm good. I can sort of play both sides of the fence here. I can look like I'm following the law, but inside of me, I'm seething. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm allowing this... <clears throat> To build up inside of me. That's the root of bitterness. When that happens, it's going to come out. It's going to spring forth. At some point, you will see it. It's very clear in the life of Saul. I'm guessing you can probably think of other lives that it's clear in as well. But here is Saul, and he's allowed this to take root. And so basically, he's moving forward inescapably towards self-annihilation. He can't stop this train. The brakes are gone. He is moving downhill, and there's a ton of weight pushing him forward. He is going down. It's not a pretty picture. 1 Samuel 18, verse 11, says it like this. The next day, a harmful spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. Even the music's not working now. David does this day by day, and Saul had his spear in his hand. What kind of picture is that? Who sits around in a dark corner holding on to a sharp thing going, eh, eh. this is not a happy guy. <laughs> He's got issues. This is much worse than dad waiting for daughter to return home from her date. <laughs> this guy's going crazy. That's normal. This isn't. <laughs> He's losing it. And David is very, very aware of it. This is what shows us how important it is for us to win the war of our minds. Satan is always attacking our internal thoughts in whatever ways he can. It's not as clear as a witch doctor or a voodoo or whatever. 
It's just subtle little nuances, things you hear, voices that say things to you, and you've got to take control of those and deny them right away and identify those as a lie from the devil. Is that true? Is that thing you just said to yourself right? Is it true that your life stinks? No, it's true that your life is bought, purchased, redeemed, and atoned for by the blood of Christ. That's not true. Don't tell yourself that. It's a lie. Look, you need to go after those lies with truth. You need to destroy those arguments. And every lawfully opinion, I don't care who's telling you that, destroy them. Raise those that are raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. You own that. You control who walks between your ears. Don't let them in. Finally then, brothers, this is how you do it. Whatever is true, not what is false, but that which is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Is that what I'm thinking about right now? When I look at her, when I look at him, is what is true passing through my mind? Is what I think about them lovely or commendable or honorable? If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy, think about these things. You know, inner turmoil can provoke you to do absolutely horrible things. Even us. <laughs> this is not some distant story removed from the pages of our lives, but this is us every day. King of Israel, you and me. The reigning king, the highest guy in the land, the one that has every resource and asset at his disposal, the one who is guarded by armies, is sitting by himself in a closet, twirling his spear and plotting how he might kill God's anointed. That is not a good spot to be. Natural result of that is this, is that Saul hurls the spear for in his mind, it's really interesting, the Bible, because it's written by the Holy Spirit, can tell you what's going on inside of people's minds. It says, I will pin David to the wall. He didn't want to just kill him. <laughs> he wanted him to become taxidermy in his living room. I will pin him to the wall. But David evaded him, not once, but twice. Who walks back into the room after somebody's just thrown a spear at you? <laughs> Let me tell you, this guy trusted God. He believed when the Lord said, you'll be king, he believed it. Such that he would walk into a very volatile and dangerous situation and risk his neck and totally and completely depend upon God to deliver him. Saul makes one more attempt on David's life in 1 Samuel 19, verse 10. And then Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, actually tries to kill his own son, Jonathan. And at this point, after several <laughs> javelin or, or spear hurls, David is thinking, okay, I've been in this situation long enough. Now it's time to get out of Dodge. And this is what he says to his friend Jonathan. He says, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there's but a step. There's but a single step between me and death. I mean, last time that spear whizzed by, it felt like it was getting closer and closer each time. First time I had a little space. This time it just about pierced my ear. I still got a cut. I need to get out of here. You know, I'm trying, but there's nothing more I can do. And sometimes that's where it is in conflict. If you're being abused in a relationship and you've hung true for a long time, at some point you might need to separate and put some space between you. If there's but a step between you and death, you need to get out. 
Here's David saying, look, I'm trying to respect the leadership that's in my life. I'm doing everything I can to help, but he will not stop trying to kill me now. I need to put some space between us. So where do I go? To the massage parlor or wherever else to make me feel better? No way. I'm going to the temple of my God. He's going to run to God. David's going to leave and head towards the priest of Nob. And that shows me in every way that this whole time his heart is trusting in God. He's believing God to keep him safe when he's in this conflict. And he's believing God to deliver him when he runs. And the whole time the first thought on his mind is what does God want me to do? This is a difficult spot. And I think it's an actually beautiful picture of how we need to respond to conflict. You look at the characters throughout scripture and you can say certain things to them. For example, you say of Job. Job was a man of... I have the what of Job? Patience of Job, exactly. I would like the what of Solomon? Wisdom of Solomon. We talk about Peter and his passion, John and his love, the Apostle Paul and his theology and suffering and mission. When we talk about David, there's a lot of things you could say. You can say artist, you can say poet, you can say musician, you can say all these things. But at the end of the day, here's a guy who trusted God. He trusted God like no other. He was a man after God's own heart. And I think this is why you see this theme playing out. That the significance of God's sovereignty in David's life is so profound that it produces in him an unshakable faith which leads to an unstoppable life. David had really learned this lesson. He truly believed, Proverbs 29, 25, that says, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. David believes this when a lion comes at him. David believes this when a bear comes at him. David believes this when a giant comes at him. David believes this when spears come at him. David believed this when Philistine armies comes at him. Over and over again, he's like, I'm unstoppable. You can't kill me because it's not time yet. And God has promised that I will be king. So till I am, here we go. He is running straight ahead into the face of fear. And this was what I personally absolutely love about this guy. I mean, he is so passionate. He's so confident. He's so crazy. He does not care. He's amazing. I love this. I love it. And all the people of Judah and Israel loved it. God loves it. But evil hates it. And Saul feared him. Why? Because... The Lord was with him. As a result, David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him, but Saul was afraid of him. Hey, look, if you're running into conflict, there's probably a reason. It may not even have to do with you, but instead, what's going on inside of them? Are they insecure? Are they fearful? What is going on? As long as you're trusting in the Lord, you don't have to worry about it, because whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. But that tells you something. So here's what happens. There's the tipping point. Now there's some traps along the way. We're going to walk through those. And what I want to show is that there are both sort of direct, intentional things, like the throwing of the spear. But there's also gamesmanship and intrigue and power plays and all this other manipulation that's going on behind the scenes as well. So you'll see these in these next uh, few examples. There are devious means 
that Saul is using to take out David. He's like, all right, spear didn't work. I don't know how I missed. It was point blank range and I tried twice, three times actually. Can't hit him. I know how we'll get him. We'll take him down the same way the devil's taken me down. (laughs) I'll put some temptation in his life that there's no way he can resist. Any man would fall for this. Devious means trap, number one. 1 Samuel 18, it says this, And Saul said to David, Here's my daughter. Who can resist a princess? I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Maybe, just maybe, David, if you go out and try to win this young lady's affection via your conquest and conquering, one of my enemies will kill you. And if that is the case, I don't have to. My job's done. The Philistines already took care of business. Now, is this fair? Is this right? What happened a few chapters earlier when David fought Goliath? What did Saul say? The man who kills this Philistine will get what? My daughter. Where's the daughter? (laughs) Don't you owe me a wife? Hasn't happened yet. In fact, he said a daughter and riches and freedom and none of that's come. So Saul's still playing all kinds of games here. He hasn't come through with his promise, but now he thinks he can tweak and manipulate that just a little bit to get David in a tighter spot. I'll give you my daughter. Well, what happens? Well, the guy's such a player. You see him, uh, verse 19, David does this. He accomplishes that. He kills the bad guys. But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David... She was given to somebody else. What? You gave away my wife? (laughs) One thing to eat my cookie, but you gave away my wife? How do you think David's going to respond to this? How would most guys respond to that? Especially if you're capable of killing. Well, David hangs in there. It's really neat. You see him still doing what the Lord is commanding him to do. Saul does it again. Here's another trap. All right, the first one didn't work. Let's try it again. This is daughter number two, attempt number three. But let's elevate or raise the ante a little bit. So now another daughter falls in love with David. It's kind of funny. Saul hates David, but everybody else loves him. Everybody around him is falling, even his own children, his own family. Come on, not my family too. (laughs) Yeah, your family loves David too. Sorry, man. Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and he's like, ah, I can use this one too. Verse 21, Saul's like, okay, let me give Michael to him, and she'll be a snare to him, and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So he says to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law. Oh, wow, what a privilege. The son of a (laughs) madman. Saul commands his servant, speak to David in private and say, Play to his pride. So every man has pride, right? Behold, the king has delight in you. All his servants love you. Now become the king's son-in-law. Wow, what a deal, man. I am something special. <laughs> Look at that. That's what you're supposed to think if you're David. Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Wow. What a trap. 
There's three or four things being played upon here. One is obviously the pride. Another is the danger of the Philistines. We've shown David to be okay with both of those. But here's one that will be a difficulty. She may be a snare for him. (laughs) All right, ladies, please leave the room for a second. Who doesn't know if you're a man or if you're a woman that women can be a snare for men? Huh? Is that true? Absolutely. Look at David's life later. I don't know if Saul saw something or if he just realized that David's a guy and this is what he'll go for, but early on he's offering him the ultimate bait. Here's something I know you'll like. I mean, if you're a man, you should be wired this way and therefore you'll go for it. He offers him this daughter and she is a snare to him to distract him from the glory of God, to take his eyes off of what really matters, to stay home and stay away from battle and pursue her interest above God's. As a result, you'll see this happen later, but here in this chapter, David's still doing the right thing. But man, oh man, who doesn't know about the snare of a woman? I mean, you look at this situation and Saul's hope for David is that he'll be distracted, but you can honestly ask yourself, what's more distracting? (laughs) There's all kinds of people everywhere that are locked in addictive habits that are dragging them down, and it's the snare of a woman. Even if they're not in an addictive habit, you know that people will sell you things using the way God has designed the fair sex. They can parade them across the the screen. They can move them in certain ways. They can design their wardrobe or clothing such that your eyes, which are attracted to movement and physiologically connected to your brain and everything else, all of a sudden go, whoa, what was that? Whoa, what was that? (laughs) I noticed. Yeah, now we're going to switch it on you and give you this. That's what Saul's doing. He's trying to distract David to get his eyes off of what he should be pursuing, and he's aggressively targeting this guy through a very nasty, evil, manipulative means. He wants him to be brought low. Later, you'll see that there's an idol in this household, and I kind of wonder if that wasn't part of it too, that Saul knew this daughter had a thing for other gods, and all of a sudden, if she's in David's life, he might follow after him too. Why do you think I have such a difficult marital policy? I do, by the way. If you ask me to marry you, it's not going to be easy because <laughs> I care about marriage. I don't want you to leave your spouse for anyone or anything else. And so in order for me to be the pastor that makes you say, I do, I'm going to walk you through an intense process where both people have to be believers. Well, that's my thing because I think it's a big deal for people to be equally yoked. And I think Saul is going after it right here saying, hey, if I can get these two together, they might be unequally yoked. All of a sudden, her idols is going to bring him down. How many people have I talked to that, yeah, my other one, well, they, you know, and then before long, I don't see him anymore. That's what happens. And Saul's going after it, and the Bible's very clear about it. It says, don't be unequally yoked. In the Old Testament, it goes like this. When it comes to um, the foreign people who worship other gods, God's um, indictment when the Old Testament Israelites were to take that land was pretty severe. What most people today would call genocide. He says, they shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will be a snare. Saul thought to make Michael a snare. Samson and Delilah, Solomon and his wives, 
Over and over again, the fairer sex can bring you down if they're not pursuing the same thing you are. That's why it's so important to be in a marriage where you guys are looking the exact same direction. Psalm 106 says, here's what happened to the people of Israel. They really blew it. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do so as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. But at this point, David's not there yet. He's still being faithful and he's not being pulled down. But that is always there. So guard your hearts, guard your thoughts, and guard your mind. It is always there. So death by Philistines, not exactly. Transitioning now. Um, Here's what happened. Saul asked for the lives. G-rated. The lives of 100 Philistine men. Read the chapter, you'll know what we're referring to. The lives of 100 Philistine men. And David, being the oorah, heck yeah sort of guy that he is, comes back with not 100, but instead, I love this guy. (laughs) Did I mention that I love this guy? He's like at the table, and Saul's like, all right, let's see it. Bring back 100. He's like, 100? That ain't hard enough. How about 200? Why don't we make it a little bit tougher? You must think it's just me fighting these guys. You're right. If it was just me, I'd lose every time. Because I'm like this, the Philistines are like this, but God, everybody, everybody, God is like this, right? You can raise your hands in church, I know, it's okay, we just did it. God is like this, he's huge, why not 200, hey, three, four, five, what do you want? I'll be back in the GIF, hold on Saul, no problem. 100 is not enough. God is much bigger than that. I'll take whatever you have and double it. Bring it. Why not? I got God on my team. And I'm jumping up and down waiting for him just to blast these guys with the dodgeball. (laughs) He's going to nail them. We're going to win. Guaranteed. So David goes out. He brings back 200. And I'm sitting here looking at this guy scratching my head going, man. That is just crazy. Sorry, that was my fault. That is crazy. How did he do that? Well, I mean, that was just like back then, right? Because, you know, there's these great heroes of the faith, and they had all these supernatural powers, and that's them, and it can't be us. No way. That's not how it's supposed to be for us, because, you know, like, today's different. And uh, David, well, he had, like, his own prophet, right? He had Samuel, and Samuel anointed David, and therefore David had something I didn't. And David had his own priest. He could run to Nob and meet with these guys. So he definitely had something I didn't. Oh, wait, wait, David was going to be the king. So he had this whole king thing. Yeah, he definitely had something I didn't. Prophet priest, king. Well, if only I had what David had, then surely I'd do the same sort of thing. Maybe he had angels. You know, if I just had a Hallmark Channel guardian angel ringing a bell and watching over me, then everything would be okay. I'd be just fine. 
you have a prophet? You have a priest? You have a king? Is it possible for you to walk through the valley of shadow of death and fear no evil? For someone is with you. If God is with you and you're like this and they're like this, but he's like this, what are we worried about? Why are we so afraid? Should we be hiding in the cisterns or running from the giants? By no means. David is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful example of how we're to respond. When conflict or evil or the enemy gets in the way, he's just like, bring it. Let's run. Let's run full speed ahead because you were with me. How many of you want to do that this week? You see some challenge in front of you and you're tempted. All of a sudden you know it's difficult and you're like, sweet, bring it, devil. (laughs) Is that the best you've got? You almost made me sin. Can't you do any worse? That kind of hurt. Let's see what else you can throw my way. <laughs> do you respond to that? No, oh, we're probably like, whoa, 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 hang on. If we were there, we would have been counseling David the same way. Hey, David, calm down, man. Just think about this. Be logical. We have an army. We have a king. There's a process. There's a method. Let's follow the standard steps. Don't run. What are you doing? David's like, what are you doing? I got God. I'm gone. (laughs) Coming with me or not? Evil comes your way. Temptation, challenge. You hide in fear or do you attack it full on? I think the message here is pretty clear. It's not that David was lucky, that he was special, or that he had anything we didn't. Instead, it's very simple. David believed in the power of God. He trusted in the sovereignty and goodness of God to such an extent that his faith went and he led an absolutely unstoppable life. That's the message for you and me. When you believe that, if you believe that, you just run and you take it. He had nothing on you. What? Hebrews chapter 1. This is actually how it goes. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, we see it all throughout the scriptures, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Yep, David had a prophet. He had Samuel. But, church, Midland Free, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Don't tell me you need an angel. Don't tell me you need a vision. What you have is so much superior to angels. As the name he has inherited is more excellent than any of theirs. He is the heir of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. He's made purification for our sins, sitting down with a job well done at the right hand of the majesty on high. Since we, since I, since you, since me, we have a priest who has passed through the heavens 
His name is Jesus. Let us then with full confidence in the sovereignty and goodness of God believe by faith to such an extent that we live unstoppable lives. Drawing near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find the grace we need in times of trouble. I don't need angels. I've got Jesus. I don't need a priest. I have Jesus. I don't need to eat from the table of showbread. I feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Trust in the power and the goodness of God. Yes, opposition is going to come this week, next week, whenever. I don't know. It's going to come. But you don't need an angel. You don't need a priest. You don't need a prophet. You already have one. And he wins every single time. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon today, remember these two words. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Look, church, I've said these things to you not because they're my words, but they belong much better to somebody else. That you may have peace. Not that you'll be afraid, but you'll have peace. For in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. I have a prophet. I have a priest. I have a king. Say that with me now. I have a prophet. I have a priest. I have a king. Stand up. I have a priest. (laughs) I have a priest. I have a prophet. I have a king. I have a priest. I have a prophet. I have a king. I have a priest. I have a prophet. I have a king. I have a priest. I have a prophet. I have a king.